if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to look at 2 Kings. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. If you're a Bible app user, uh, the YouVersion Bible app, you can find our live event and track along with us in notes and uh, text and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you a little bit about how this sermon came about. Um, we're trying to, hopefully, Lord willing, wrap up uh, our four, uh, this is the fourth week where we've been talking about how Jesus reigns over everything. We started in the Old Testament, spent two weeks in the New Testament, we're going to come back to the Old Testament today, hopefully that's the last one. Uh, and, and we can um, just begin to you know, look, move forward and look forward. Uh, today, though, uh, this, this particular sermon, <clears throat> we're in staff meeting on Tuesday. Hadn't sat down and had a staff meeting in you know, six weeks or something like that. Uh, so we're in staff meeting on Tuesday, sitting around. Um, the first thing that we always do is we pray together as a staff. Um, that, that prayer time is guided by a particular passage of Scripture. And I just looked at our guys and I said, I, I don't know what we need to pray at this point. Anybody got something they just really want to pray? And Carrie Andrus, our kids pastor, rolls this passage out. And when she got done reading it, and when we got done praying it, I just, I'm like, that's the sermon for Sunday right there. So I wanted to give credit uh, where credit is due. Here in 2 Kings chapter 8. Um, now Elisha said to the woman whose son had restored to life, I'll explain all of that in just a second, arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, uh, she went to appeal to the king for her house in her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was um, telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. Uh, and Gehazi said, my lord, O king, here's the woman, and here's her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left until now. And so this morning, just picking up this theme that Jesus reigns over everything, and today he reigns over restoration. Just quickly, the context of this lady's story is pretty awesome. Um, she has uh, uh, seen a movement of God in her life already. In 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, Elisha has shown up to her house and she kind of cares for him and, and her needs, excuse me, his needs. And he says, hey, what do you think this lady needs? And Gehazi says, well, she doesn't have a kid. And so because that was super important back in the day for multiple reasons, uh, Elisha looks at her and said, hey, next time I roll back into town, you're going to have a son. It's going to be awesome. And the lady's like, wait a minute it. Don't go messing with me like that. He says, no, 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 no. This is what the word of the Lord to you is. And she said, okay. So indeed, next time he rolls back into town, she has a son. Son grows up. Uh, that was miraculous enough. Uh, the son grows up and um, is out working in the field uh, as a young man uh, with his dad and says, oh, my head, my head, and then falls down dead, possibly a stroke or something. The Bible doesn't really say, just the description of it uh, seems like that's about the case. So it uh, falls down dead. And so the woman saddles a donkey, goes riding over to Elisha's place and says, hey, look, this is what went down. And uh, Elisha, in one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of what Jesus has done for us, comes to the child. And the Bible says that he laid down on top of the child, hand to hand, 
head-to-head, nose-to-nose, eyeball-to-eyeball, mouth-to-mouth, and breathe life into him. Isn't that good? See, Jesus didn't do it from afar for you and me. What did he do? He came to us. And when did he breathe? When he came to us. He came to us. He breathed life into us. Such a beautiful picture. So I say that to say this. Jesus has moved in this lady's life. God has moved in this lady's life, and she has a history of seeing God move. Now, she's not defined by that history, but it is definitely a part of her story. She's not even defined by the present thing that she was facing, but it is part of her story. Church family, listen. Harvey one day is going to be one of these stones that we pick up and hold up and say, you remember when God did this? Hello? It's not going to be like this forever. You with me on this? But we will have a history. We have already had a history of God at work. Today we are seeing God move, and one of these days, this too will be history. So we come to this present moment here, starting back in verse 1. Elisha has said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. And so the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistine for seven years. So this is where we come to now. You heard the history about how God had miraculously given her a son and how he had miraculously raised that son from the dead, and now she is displaced because of a natural disaster. that ringing any bells here? She's displaced because of a natural disaster. And along with that comes this powerful sense of loss. Loss of home, loss of land, uh, loss of uh, uh, place, of order in life, of rhythm, of the connections that she had relationally, socially. She didn't know which grocery store to go to. I mean, there wasn't even a Kroger or an ATB. She had to go to Publix or something like that. I mean, like, it was all crazy, right? I mean, there was, it was, it, there was a, a loss of livelihood. There was a loss of security that goes along with that. Just a sense of loss. And after loss, inevitably and appropriately, comes grief. That's true for you and for me, true for everybody we know that was affected, true for this lady. Where do you see that in the text? A couple of places here. In verse 3, at the end of the seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. She went to appeal, now hold on to that word, appeal, um, to the king for her house. Now, um, uh, keep reading, Uh, uh, down in verse 5. While he was telling the king, while Gehazi, the servant, was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead um, to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life um, appealed to the king. Appeal. So two times we've got this word appeal. Here's the thing on that. That word appeal, it's a good translation. Don't get me wrong. It's a good translation. But the root of that is the word shriek. So it's not as if the woman rolled into the king and was like, hey, king, what's up? Fist bump. Let me just ask you, like, is there any chance? No, no. What's the root of that? Shriek. There was something from her deep down um, sense of loss that expressed itself in this appeal. Oh, king, if you don't come through, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I am overwhelmed by this sense of loss. And some of us are feeling that. Loss accompanies and grief follows. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If that's you, if that's you, or if that's somebody you love or somebody you know, this is all perfectly normal. That's what I'm telling you. 
It's perfectly normal. I say that because um, no matter what your particular and unique struggle is, no matter how you're interacting with the things that are going on, with the loss and the grief, I just want to say the things that come along with that, that's normal. But here's the thing. This is not the end of this story, and it's not the end of our story either. So I just want to give you a couple of things to think about. Uh, number one, uh, there's always a story to tell. So this is what happens uh, in verse 4. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling, the Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life and so forth. There's always a story to tell. So Gehazi told the king about all these things that had done. Let's be clear, he was not making stuff up. He was not adding to things. He was not pulling the preacher thing where, you know, a, a few became a lot, like he wasn't inflating the numbers or anything. All he was doing was reporting what had happened. Church family, listen to me. Reporting what God has done is always enough. We don't have to dress it up and make it sound good. Just report on what God has done. It's always enough. Um, furthermore, on, on that note, as Gehazi was telling this, uh, he, was, he was reporting this. He was telling. He was, he was not inflating or anything else. He was just giving the truth. A um, couple of things are, are at play here when we have this story to tell. Number one, remembering how God has moved in the past is terrific. It's great fuel for believing and trusting God in the present and in the future. So the reason why stories are important, the reason why we talk about there's a story to tell is because remembering what God has done in the past is great fuel for our faith, for trusting God in the present and in the future. There's a reason why, parents, we need to tell our kids how we've seen God move. There's a reason why uh, grandparents, how when we gather people at Thanksgiving or wherever it may be, um, one of the moments that could happen, doesn't have to, but could happen is you gather around and you talk about how God has done. There is a reason why Sunday school classes and small groups, it's important to say, hey, this is how we've seen God move. Because when we tell those stories, what that does is it fuels us for trusting him in the present and in the future. Secondly on that, Telling these stories brings power, uh, telling stories of his power brings others into the reality of who he is. The, the, the king wanted to hear this, and when Gehazi started telling, it kind of enveloped him. It caught him up in something larger than himself. It gave him a story big enough to live in, and that, that brought the king into contact with the reality of who God is. And that's a great thing for us to hold on to, is that when we tell stories of his power, it brings others into the reality of who he is. Let me just say this quickly. How many of you know somebody who's been argued into the kingdom? Anybody? No, it doesn't happen. Why? Because revelation is the first step of faith. How then does a person uh, have that revelation come to them? Oftentimes, most often, it's in stories. If you were here, church family, in a uh, very early part of this year, uh, we spent weeks talking about how we should tell our stories. And this is, this is that moment for us. We have seen God move. We have seen him work in power. We have seen him provide in ways that are miraculous. This team was here uh, uh, passing out uh, gospel, uh, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, little books of the gospel. I should hold that up. I've got it right here. Uh, they were passing out, and find, by the way, they're going to leave us some. This life of Jesus thing, uh, they're going to leave us about 2,500 or so, which is 
great with us. Uh, uh, but life of Jesus, they were passing these out. Um, miraculously, God provided to see these things printed. Miraculously. Like, it didn't just happen. Like, this God provided miraculously. Over and over and over again, we've got these stories of how we've seen God move. This is an opportunity to tell them, and it, and it wraps people up in that. It brings them into relationship, uh, into a, a sense of who God is, into the reality of who God is. I'm saying that to say this, church family, don't quit telling your stories. Don't quit telling your stories. Just on principle, firsthand stories are better than secondhand stories, but secondhand stories are better than no stories. So in, in this particular passage, Gehazi is telling of how Elisha moved, and then the woman shows up. Gehazi is telling a secondhand story, and then the woman, at the end of the passage, tells her firsthand account. And so if you get the opportunity to tell of how God has worked in your life, uh, please, please, please uh, do so. Even if it's as simple as, hey, somebody cares for you, and his name is Jesus, that's a story worth telling right there. You walk up on somebody with a bag, and they're like, we don't need anything. Hey, listen, you may not, but we just want you to know that Jesus cares for you. And that's the story that's worth telling. When we tell these stories of how God has moved and how he is moving, it brings others into, into contact with the reality of who he is. Uh, second thing, this is a great little thing, and this, this part is not my story to tell, so I'm going to get some help, but let's just look here carefully. Verse 5, and while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. So Gehazi sitting there telling the king, and guess what happened? The lady walked up. Well, I've got a lady who's going to walk up, and she's going to tell. This, this, here's the principle. There's no, there's no such thing as a coincidence. There's no such thing as a coincidence. And I can't wait for you to hear how Carrie can confirm that. This is Carrie Andrus, our kids' pastor, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, thanks. Um, I wanted to kind of share a little bit about my story, and I hope that I can articulate it well, because God has done some pretty amazing things in my life and in the life of my family in the past month. Uh, it feels like it's been years, but it's only been a month, believe it or not. And I kind of want to tell you how I kind of got to this place and kind of explain along the way how God had his hand on me and on my family and the acts of provision that he gave for us. Um, truly, I can't count them. So it's amazing to think back. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about that. So uh, my family and I, we lived across the street from Wedgwood Elementary in the Forest Bend neighborhood, if you know where that is. It flooded pretty pretty drastically, I would, I would say. Our house itself, uh, we only ended up with about a foot of water. Uh, but at the time, it seemed like it could have been, you know, a whole lot more than that. And so it's really scary. Um, I sent my family away ahead of me. They evacuated um, because they listened to me, and I'm always right. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not always right. Sometimes I'm wrong. But uh, my plan was to send them on ahead of me, and then I would meet them on Sunday. And as you guys know, the rain came faster than we anticipated. And so Saturday night, I sat in my house alone, and it started raining at about 9 o'clock. By 11 o'clock, there was already water in our house. And so I was panicking, and, you know, you think, oh, I'll be level-headed, and I'll know exactly what to do. I wasn't. I basically ransacked my house, you know, trying to move things higher and unplug things and all of that. Um, I was irritated with my husband, you know, for not being there, even though I was the one that sent it. It's cool. It's going to come out in counseling later, <clears throat> so it's good. 
So, you know, this whole thing is happening, and this water is coming in, and I'm going from room to room, and I'm trying to move things to higher ground, and I don't really know what I'm doing, and everything is already wet. So at some point, I'm like, you know what? I can't do this. I don't know what to do, and what I'm doing isn't helping. So I sent my husband a picture of my feet. I was sitting in the recliner with water all around. I'm like, you know what? I'll just hang out here. And um, I didn't sleep that night, um, like most people, and I stayed up, and I read my Bible, and I prayed to God, and at some point in the middle of the night, I had a realization that God is still God. It doesn't matter if all of this stuff around me doesn't make it out of this house. <laughs> He's still God, and He still has a plan, and none of these things matter. My people were safe. Believe it or not, I was safe. I wasn't drowning. This little bit of water wasn't going to hurt me, um, but there was that panicked moment where I had to really and truly trust in God. So the next morning when the sun finally came up, I opened the door and the creek was, you know, at my house. Um, it was a great waterfront property. Um, and I thought, you know what, it is time to go. And I didn't have a, a man of God come by the house and say, hey, it's time to evacuate. I just knew it's time to go. Uh, and so I put on my backpack that I had prepared with a few things that I thought were important. And I stepped outside my door and I waded through water like everyone else to get to safety. And um, in that process, I thought, you know, I'm going to close this door behind me, and I don't know what's going to happen at my house, but I know that I'm taking the next step. And I know that the next place I go is where? I don't know. I ended up at the end of the street, and I thought, wait, I didn't plan this far. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Uh, and then I thought, you know what? Wedgwood opened the elementary school across the street. It opened as a shelter. I'll go there. So I show up over there, and with the blessing of the counselor at the school there, I was able to get into a classroom, and there were some games and things there, and I was really and truly just doing the next thing. And so I pulled out those games, and I started finding children who had also evacuated, and we set up a fun game room, and we're having a great time. Um, it was sort of surreal in this moment of disaster that we're, you know, playing chutes and ladders. It's cool. This is what people do. No? Okay, so that's what we did. Uh, <laughs> and we just did the next thing. And we'd all been through the same disaster. And to say that I did something great, it's not true. I was simply doing the next thing. And I know that there are people in this room that are just doing the next thing. And you're hoping that whatever that is, that it's glorifying to God. And it's just by his own work that any of those things mattered, right? And so I can identify with this woman who... It was very much the same as me and just doing what was next. She didn't have any power or authority over what her life was going to look like. She was just doing the next thing. And she was stepping out on faith that God had a plan and she was trusting in that. And because she had seen it with her own eyes, she knew without a doubt he could do it. I can testify in my own life that God has met us right where we were every single step of the way, not just during Harvey way before Harvey, whenever he began to put his hand on our life and just really protect us and provide for us, he's always been there. It's the same God, whether or not your house is flooded. <laughs> he's the same God with the same plan, and so I'm not afraid. And so the same is true for her. She didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't either. Um, you fast forward just a little bit, um, because, because of our circumstance and because God loves us, um, things have kind of accelerated quickly. We weren't tied financially to our home, so we were able to move into a new home. Um, the, people, the people of our church, the people of the Capital C Church, people that we will never meet, have stepped in and provided for us, and they were faithful to meet God's calling in their own life and to uh, give so generously of things that they had at their house, of things 
things that they went and got and gave to us. And so our house is filled with sweet, sweet treasures, not treasures that we spend our life to, to obtain, but things that were given to us with um, sweet spirit. And our home is filled with love, uh, what should be a strange place, because we just got there, with a bunch of strange things, because we just got them, is really a house that's a home. And it's filled with love and peace and provision. It's really a sweet, sweet place. I so long for my neighbors um, <laughs> and the people who are impacted by Harvey to be able to experience that because there's true peace and freedom in knowing that all of those things that were lost, they're all just things. And our God stands ready to bless you even more than what you had. The things that you had, they might have been great. They might have even been sentimental, but God can even replace that. That those old feelings that you had toward things, he can absolutely redefine in him. And so you're going to long for him, not for what was a kid's handprint or something that you had. It's amazing how he can do that. So this woman, um, when I read this story, I was like, man, I just get her. Um, I think, I feel like we're living the same thing. I mean, famine, flood, I don't know. <clears throat> same thing, right? But here she is. She doesn't know what to do. Um, she just knows to do the next thing and to watch God be glorified. And I think that that could be true for all of us. That, um, you know, she didn't have any say over what was going to happen. She didn't know if FEMA or the king um, would be able to grant her this wonderful privilege of being able to go back into her home and to have all of these things. But she trusted that God had a plan. And I'm I'm going to say that even if that hadn't worked out, I bet God still would have been glorified in some way. So I don't, know who, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what your story is, and your story may not be my story, but the truth is there's something in your life. It may not be that you're house flooded. It may not be that you're even impacted by Harvey at all. But there's something in your life that you're waiting for God to be glorified in. And what I want to encourage you with today is step beyond your circumstance. Put your feet up in the recliner. No, I'm kidding. Just know that God has a plan. And when you look beyond what's happening right now in this moment and look toward what God is going to do, I know that you'll be, you will feel the same thing that I do. That's so good, isn't it? That's so good. So when we say uh, there is no coincidence, what we mean is God puts you in places right across from Wedgwood Elementary, and he puts people in your life um, to do things that uh, uh, to encourage you, to bless you, to uh, be there for you, to cheer you on, whatever it is. He puts you in places and he puts people in your life. There's no such thing as coincidence. Not for that lady, not for Carrie, not for you, none of those. La last thing, he has a plan, and this is a great thing. Jesus reigns over restoration, and I want you to track along with me here. Verse 5. While he was telling the king how Elisha had, watch this, restored. You ready? Restored. The dead to life. Behold, the woman whose son he had restored, that's number two, to life, appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, here is the woman and here is her son whom Elisha restored. Now three times in a verse. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. And here's his plan. Here's what God is in the business of. He's in the business of restoration. Your life, my life, 
He's in the business of restoration. The whole world is going to be ultimately and fully restored um, to him. And his plan uh, looks something like this. For this woman, it started with the restoration of houses. Now, church family, we have a plan because we think God gave it to us. Uh, And we're going to help start restoring houses. I'm ready to start building some stuff instead instead of tearing some stuff out. Anybody with me on that? So uh, phase two ministry, we talked about this very briefly, but let me just explain one more time. Phase two ministry looks something like this. Um, We have uh, kind of simple uh, uh, furniture and stuff. I'll talk more about that in just a second. But in terms of restoring houses, uh, we have a a basic dry-in package that includes getting sheetrock in the, excuse me, getting insulation in the external walls, getting sheetrock up uh, uh, where it needs to go up, and hopefully putting in some doors if people need it. Uh, and we can do that for a relatively small amount of money. We have some people who are excited about that. We have teams that are coming in to help with that. Uh, there's, we have on our list approximately 91 houses that we think might need help. What that will require is some volunteer hours, teams from outside, some of us. I mean, it's just going to take some work to get there. But 91 houses is what we're looking at. And if it ends up being 74, if it ends up being 108, we don't care. We, just, we will do what God has said to do. We're starting with this restoration of houses. Uh, the second part of this is this restoration of lives. Um, we've, as we said, we've already passed out uh, copies of the four Gospels here um, this, this past weekend to a bunch of these folks in the Wedgwood and uh, Friendswood area. Um, here's the other part of it about this. Does anybody know anybody who gets stressed out in situations like this? Anybody? Like if you sat down over here at the Kroger and stuck your arm in the little thing by the pharmacy and it took your blood pressure, it would be like, you should be dead. That's all it would say, right? So not tomorrow, not tomorrow, the 9th, October the 9th, um, we're starting a three-week group here. Um, I don't exactly know how it'll shake out in, in terms of all the things, but one of our church members is going to lead a group here called this, Broken Houses, Not Broken Homes. How do you deal with stress in the middle of all of this anxiety-inducing circumstance? How does a husband relate to a wife and a, rel- and a wife relate to a husband in the middle of this? It doesn't do any good to have sheetrock back up and, nobody ha- and, excuse me, and everybody hates one another in the house. How, 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 does, how does a parent relate to the nightmares and stressed-out nature of their 10-year-old? How, how does that happen? So uh, we're trying to put together something here, uh, the three Mondays in a row, the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd, uh, it's 6.30 here, led by one of our church members, just a group to deal with that. Listen, we're going to put this up on our website and on uh, Facebook and stuff this week. You need to share the snot out of this, okay? Because we don't want to just put back houses. We're talking about a restoration of lives. That's what we're talking about, okay? So uh, third part of this, it was true for that lady, uh, true for us. Uh, this restoration of connection, not just restoration of this house, not just of her sense of, okay, this is where I belong, but this connection. So give her back not only just, just her house, he says, but all that was hers. Give her back her land. Give her a place to go. And so again, we've got this furniture here. We're going to build more of these. Uh, we've got a bookcase. We're working on an end table. We'll have some teams in, I think, to do that. Uh, if, you, if you in particular as a church family have needs, we've got these things in place. We're ready uh, to get them um, ready to get them in the hands of those who need them and can use them, okay? So uh, just know that uh, that's our plan, and we're starting with our church family to make sure because we want to see um, this restoration of connection. This, it, Listen, it's just wood, people, right? I mean, that's all it is. 
But, but in a sense, it's a move back towards normal. And that's a good thing. Uh, lastly, uh, this restoration of rhythm. Uh, how do we find this new sense of normal? That's what God did for her, and that's what he will do for us as the days come. As I said earlier, Harvey's not going to define us forever. It has over the past four weeks, even this morning. Um, I came in. I did not, you notice, wear shorts and a T-shirt. Um, very first thing I did uh, after we got the smoke squared away, we brought these dehumidifiers in, I got dirt all over my new shirt. So from now on, I'm only wearing a T-shirt and shorts. And the, No, I'm just kidding. Just this new rhythm, a new rhythm. Here's a question. How in the world can we really trust God for this? How can we really trust God for this? And let's just think about this. Three times in, in verse 5, restore the dead, restore to life, restore to life. Three times. And then the king says in verse 6, so restore to her. Why does he keep using the same word? Because he wants, the, the storyteller here wants to get this. He wants us to get this, that if God can take care of raising the son from the dead, he can handle dealing with the house. Church, do you hear me? If he dealt with the big thing, then the little thing he's also got. This translates beautifully in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. We, we love verse 31. If God's for us, who could be against us, right? Yeah. This is how much he's for us. Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with Jesus graciously give us how much? How much? All things, not some things. He's not stingy up there. He's going to give us all things. He, did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If he can handle, if, if, if he was willing to give his son Jesus, then he is willing to take care of the rest too. The church family, the guarantee of all of this restoration plan is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He has not only paid for our sins to grant forgiveness, but he came back from the dead to give life and freedom to everybody who follows. We get to walk in that. And right now, we come to a time where we remember that. So I'm going to invite you, put your stuff away if you need to. You can set your stuff down, fold up and close up and all that kind of stuff. We're going to come to a time of communion where we get a chance to remember that he did indeed graciously give us Jesus, and therefore he will also graciously give us all things. Deacons are going to come forward. Uh, let's take just a moment here to have some reflective, quiet. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll celebrate communion together. Father, I'm grateful in this moment that the promise that you give to us to graciously, freely give us all things is rooted in something that can be proven that you gave Jesus for us. So we as your people, 
we come to you this morning. We say, man, we want to be good rememberers of that. We want this moment of remembrance to fuel faith for what we're going to face on Tuesday. If you didn't spare Jesus but gave him up for us, you'll take care of the smaller stuff too. If you dealt with our biggest problem in Jesus, you can handle all the other problems that we face. We come to you now to remember.